The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning, everyone. I know that's going to happen anytime they're sitting here, but every time it still feels nice. My name is Anthony. I'm the student pastor here at Morgan Hill Bible Church. It is my joy and pleasure and honor to speak to you today, and I have the joy of talking about grace this morning. Grace, by definition, is unmerited favor, a favor that is undeserved and unearned. When I was little, I used to play a lot of sports. It was mostly soccer growing up, and sometimes I played on a good team, sometimes I played on a bad team. Uh, We'd go to practice, we'd play hard, we'd try and score lots of goals and usually fail. Uh, We would do all these things, all this stuff, and at the end of a season, no matter how good we did or bad we did, we would get a little trophy. Like, if we did bad, all we got was like a little medal and and a necklace. It was cool. It was nice. But if we did really well, and it happened once, my, my team won first place in our age range, and we got this cool big trophy. It was awesome. That's not grace because we earned it. We deserved it. We played. We went to practice. We did the stuff. We did the things. That's not grace. That would be a reward. Your paycheck at the end of, end of the work week, that's a wage. You did something. You earned that. You deserve that. That is not grace. Grace can only be given freely as a blessing, as a reward. You can't do anything to earn it. I, Anthony, am a flawed human being with a sin problem. And so over the course of my life, I have made many Wrong choices, bad choices. I have sinned quite a lot. Um, Several years ago, uh, about 16, 17 years ago, when I first got my driver's license, um, if if it's been a while for you, if you don't remember, when you get your first driver's license, in the first year, there's some extra rules on you because you you haven't earned the full privilege yet. Some of those uh, extra restrictions are you can't drive in the car Uh, with other people unless there's someone age, I think it's 25 or older. That makes sense. Uh, And then also, I remember there being a curfew on that as well. So you couldn't drive past like 10 or 11 uh, at night just because it's late. They think you'll get tired and, and do something wrong. Well, like any teenager, I felt that those laws didn't apply to me. I felt that I was smarter, better. Like I know this for other people. Other people are unsafe drivers. I'm a very good driver. It's fine. So late one night, I was driving back from Santa Cruz, and I had a buddy in the car who was in high school with me, and it was probably about midnight. We're coming over Hecker Pass, and I am driving way too fast, way too recklessly. I am breaking several traffic laws. It's not good, okay? I don't recommend this. Teenagers, don't do this. Uh, And so I'm driving, driving way too fast past Gilroy Gardens, In my rearview mirror, I see lights, hear sirens, and I get pulled over by an officer of the law. Now, this officer, very nice, very kind, walks up and says, excuse me, sir, do you know how fast you were driving? I said, no. He said, very fast. I said, okay. He said, you're you're speeding. You're going so fast, it's now reckless driving. I see that you had just got your driver's license. It's out too late. You're past your curfew. You're driving with another teenager in the car. There might have been one or two more. It was a lot. I don't remember. And 
he says license and registration. He walks back to his car. I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm gonna get tickets. I'm gonna get fined. My car's gonna get impounded. I'm gonna lose my license. My parents are gonna be mad. This is very bad. A couple minutes go by. He walks back to the car, hands me my license, my registration, says, sir, I just got a call. There's a more important emergency happening right now. I need to leave. Go home, stay home. Do not let me catch you out later this night. Walks back to his car, lights and sirens, drives off. I was caught red-handed. There was no excuse. There was no good reason for me to be doing the things that I did. I should have got in trouble. I made a bad decision. I should have got a bad consequence, but I didn't. That's grace. I should have got punished, but I didn't. Grace is shown all throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Let me bring up a few of these stories, a few of these examples. First, David. King David was a great man, great king, great warrior. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart, which is pretty much the highest compliment, one of the highest compliments you can get in all of Scripture. But David was still a flawed human being with a sin problem. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we get a story in which David sins and sins greatly. David sends his army off to conquer a city, off to fight, off to do some things, but David stays in his palace, in his city, in his castle. One day, he's out looking at his city, and he sees a woman bathing on a roof. Sends some people out to investigate who this woman is. Finds out it's a woman named Bathsheba, who is the wife of one of his mighty men, one of his warriors off, one of his commanders off finding the war, which arguably David should be at. He invites this woman back, sleep with her. She becomes pregnant. This is very bad. David, being clever, tries to cover this up. He sends for Uriah. Uriah comes back and he says, hey, eat at my table, have fun. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Go home, be with your wife, do your thing. Uriah, who's the hero of the story, says, no, my men are still fighting. They're still dying. If they can't be home with their wives, how is it right for me to go home to mine? So I just will sleep outside. This made David very angry. And so David concocts a plot to have Uriah killed in battle and then goes through with it. And the last line of the chapter of chapter 11, it says this, the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And in the first line of 2 Samuel chapter 12, God uses Nathan the prophet to address this injustice. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. He says, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a great many sheep and cattle, but the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and grew it up with his own children. It ate at the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of a rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, David vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. God goes on to punish David. He goes on to outline that because of David's actions, certain consequences will happen down the road, but David's life is spared. 
According to the laws of Moses, according to the laws that God gave to Moses, which the Israelite people are supposed to follow, David should have been killed. According to David's own vow, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. By David's own words, he should die, but grace is shown. God shows grace to David. David is 1,000% wrong. The Bible goes into great teal, almost intentionally so, to show just how bad. It goes out of its way to show just how unjust, how unrighteous, how sinful David's actions are. And yet God still confronts David in the depths of his sin, in the midst of his bad choices, and offers grace. Second, we see in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul who we still know and like today. We read many of his letters. Letters. I'm going to reference several of his scriptures later. He was a great Christian, one of the first missionaries as we would know it. But before Paul was Paul, he went by Saul. Saul was a Jewish religious zealot, meaning he was extremely passionate about following God and his laws to an incredible degree. And so when he believed that there was this heretical cult that came, out of Christ, that came out of Judaism called Christianity, he went after it. He went after those people making their life terrible by beating them, imprisoning them, by condemning them to die, doing whatever he thought he could do all in the name of God. It says this about Saul in Acts chapter three. It says, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul was a bad dude. And then in Acts chapter nine, we get his miraculous conversion. And in this story, Saul is imprisoning Christians, dragging them out of their homes, condemning them to die in one city, and he's on his way to another city to do the same. And then Jesus meets him there on the road to Damascus, asking Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then we get Saul's incredible, miraculous conversion. Jesus confronts the sin of Saul, but also brings forgiveness, also brings salvation, also brings redemption. We still talk about him today because God redeemed Saul and his actions when he shouldn't have. We see God meeting sinful humans in the midst of their sin, bringing forgiveness and redemption. Saul didn't deserve it. Saul didn't earn it. But God gave it anyways. That's grace. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was not crucified alone. There were two other people condemned to die alongside him, the grueling death that crucifixion is. These two men, we don't know their names, and we only partially know their crimes. They were thieves or robbers, but whatever they did, they are serving the just punishments for the choices they have made. We see this in Luke chapter 23. Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him, Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they were crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Again, then we pick up in verse 39. One of the criminals railed at him, Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked the first, saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving our due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, 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 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is grace. This criminal, these criminals, sinned and sinned greatly and are serving the just punishment for what they have done. Whether they sinned against the Roman Empire or the Jewish people, doesn't matter, they are condemned to die. They are being executed just the same and we cannot get a clearer picture of grace than this. They are, they have lived a life of sin, they have done the wrong thing, did the wrong thing, they are justly condemned to die, they have made these choices and yet God still shows them grace. One criminal joins in the mocking of Jesus. Same with the Pharisees and the crowd saying, Jesus, show us another sign and then we'll believe. If you're the Messiah, if you're the savior of the world, save yourself and then say, save me. Prove to me that you are God and then I'll believe. The other rebukes him. Perhaps his partner in crime, do you not fear God? We're condemned to die. We're nailed to a cross. The game is over. The fat lady has sung. It's done. It's all done. They're not going to take us off. It's over, dude. We made this choice. We knew that if we got caught doing these crimes, this was a punishment. And it happened. We've come to the end of the line. We deserve this. That man, he doesn't. Haven't you been paying attention the last three years? Haven't you heard the stories? Haven't you seen for yourself? This man has done miracles. He's healed the blind, cured the sick. He's cast out demons. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And I don't deserve any of this, Jesus, but simply when you come into your kingdom, when you become king of heaven and king of earth, I'm not asking you to save me. I'm not asking you to free me. Simply just remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. This criminal was not baptized. They didn't take him off the cross, baptize him in the Jordan, and then put him back up there. He didn't give half his money to the poor. We don't even know if he repaid what he stole. He didn't feed the homeless. He didn't serve as a youth leader in, or youth leader in ministry. He didn't have, he probably didn't have perfect theology, yet he's with Jesus today. We don't earn our salvation. We cannot earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation. You cannot earn your way into heaven. It's only by faith that you may be saved. It's only by faith may we enter into a relationship with Jesus. Paul, the once villainous Saul, puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, for by undeserved favor you have been saved for unearned favor you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it's a gift of God not as a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared for beforehand so that we should walk in them it's all grace always has been always will be it's all unearned, it's all unmerited, it's all undeserved favor. Out of these three stories and so many more within Scripture, God meets humanity in the midst, in the depths of its sin at the worst moments of their life and still offers favor, still offers grace. Now, with this being said, does God free us from the consequences of our sin? Not always. 
The criminal on the cross still died. Paul still had to suffer through alienation, distrust by Christians that he went after. David had to suffer through various consequences, the death of his children, the loss of his kingdom. David still had to suffer. Sometimes God's grace gives us freedom from the certain tangible consequences, like me getting a bunch of tickets. But other times we reap exactly what we sow. So when when God's grace is given, does that mean forgiveness can be given as well? Absolutely. Does that mean redemption can occur? 100%, absolutely. Does God's grace restore us to right standing with God? Absolutely. Will the grace of God wipe clean the consequences of our actions in our lives and the lives of others? Not always. Sometimes, but not always. This is in part why Paul, uh, what Paul warns us of in Romans chapter five, verse 20. It says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all the world and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Paul posits a question. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Yes, God's great is amazing. Yes, he gives it freely. Some might even call it amazing grace. But we as Christians cannot continue to live in sin if we have declared Jesus Christ as Lord of our life. God's grace is not a free pass. It's not a hall pass to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want to do it. God's grace His compassion, his love, his care, his kindness should be the motivation, should be the start of motivation of the change within our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls to then be completed through the indwelling and inworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's grace is there to be a shock to our system, much like jumping into an ice bath or doing a polar plunge at camp or something. It's a shock to the system to make us rethink all of our life choices and realign ourselves with God. That's what grace is. That's what grace should be doing to us. So what are the practical steps? How do we apply this to our lives? Those are great questions. I'm glad you asked. There are two groups of people in which we need to show grace to. God has shown grace to us. We then need to turn that undeserved favor towards these two groups of people. The first group are those around us. Our neighbors, our friends, our classmates, our coworkers, our bosses, our employees, you name it, everybody around us needs some grace. Yeah, okay, Anthony, that makes sense. God has shown me grace. I need to show other people grace. Yeah, I, I get it. Thumbs up. Great. Next point. Time out here. Just a moment. Sometimes it's easier for us to show grace to some people and not others. Our family, our friends, the people that we like, those people, it's usually pretty often, pretty easy to show grace to those people because we like them. We live with them. It makes things easy. Our family and our friends, they've probably shown grace to us, so it's easy for us to to pay them back, to show grace to them. I'm not going to worry about it. I know them. I like them. That's the easy part. The people we like, that's the easy part. What about the people you don't like? What about those people? 
What about the nosy neighbor who's just always up in your business? What about the noisy neighbor who just can't seem to control their stereo? What about the dirty neighbor who just can't clean up their yard? What about the annoying coworker? The one who just won't stop talking, you're there to work, you're there to get your stuff done and they just keep trying to distract you? What about the coworker that you work really hard, you do all your stuff, but somehow they keep getting the credit for? What about that person? What about the person that stabbed you in the back metaphorically? Or I don't know your life, maybe literally. What about those people? What about those Democrats? What about those Republicans? Is it easy for you to show grace to them? What about all those sinners over there? What about the people Paul talks about in Romans chapter one? The sexually immoral, the greedy, the hateful, the envious, the murderous, the deceitful, the gossipers, the insolent, the proud, the boastful, and so many more. What about them? Is it easy for you to show grace, to give grace to those people? Well, Anthony, they don't deserve it. It's kind of the point. So it makes grace grace. It's unearned, it's undeserved. Yeah, they don't deserve it and neither do you. Even Paul makes this point in Romans, the first, so you have Romans one where he lists out all these sins, all these things, all these bad people. And then in the first verse of Romans chapter two, he says, you may think you condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. He's talking to Christians. When you say that they are wicked and they should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. No one, not one, deserves grace. Not me, not you, not them, not those people, but God gives it anyways. That's what makes grace, grace. God has shown you incredible and amazing grace. We need to then show that incredible and amazing grace to those people. That's our job. As Christ followers, if we are to imitate Christ, if we are to be like Christ, then we need to show Christ's love like he did to the criminal on the cross next to him. Well, Anthony, if you only knew what this person did, Anthony, if you only knew what this person said, the pain, the hurt, the damage it caused. Granted, I don't know every story. I don't know the hurt. I don't know the pain. I don't know the damage people may or may not have caused in your life. I don't know. If I heard your story, I would probably, my heart would probably break. And honestly, I'd probably agree with you. I'd probably agree with you that they sinned, that they made a bad choice, a wrong choice, that they're a thousand percent in the wrong. I'm not saying you have to agree with them. I'm not saying you have to pretend that everything's okay. I'm not even saying that you have to go back to the way things were. If anything, I'm saying that, yeah, you're probably right. They're 1,000% wrong. Just like David was wrong. Just like Saul was wrong. Just like the criminal on the cross was wrong. God still shows them grace daily. And if we're to be like Christ, shouldn't we do the same? I'm not saying this is gonna be easy. I'm definitely not saying this is gonna be fun. But shouldn't we try and be like Christ? The second group of people that we need to show grace to, the first is everyone else. The second group is ourselves. The second group is 
ourselves. Now, as difficult as it is for me to show grace to those around me, the people I like, sure, but even the people I don't like, oftentimes I can almost logic it away. I, I can give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they didn't mean this. Maybe they didn't mean it that way. Maybe they didn't do this. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it just happened. Things happened. I get it. I want people to show me grace. I can show grace to other people. Eh, for the most part, I'm pretty good about that. The issue is, is when grace, when it comes to applying grace for myself, because I know my own thoughts. I know the things that go on in my head. I know my feelings. I know what I want to do. I know my intentions behind the things that I say, and I know my motivations behind the things that I want to do. I know the times where I've been writing out an email that says exactly what I want to say, the way I want to say it, maybe using some harsh language, and then I delete it all and just put, as per my last email. I know the text message that I typed out and I deleted and just said, okay. I know the things that I want to do. I know what goes on in here. I can maybe fake it in front of everyone else, but I know the depths of my own sin. I know and God knows. I know my own sin. God knows my own sin. I know what I've done and God knows. But isn't that the thing? I know and God knows me. Other than God, I know what I've done. I know the harm, the pain, the sin I, I have caused. I know, and God knows, and God still chooses to give me grace. God still offers me forgiveness, offers me salvation and redemption and restoration and connection and partnership. God still allows me to live life to the fullest here and now and then have life everlasting. God has seen and knows the absolute worst thing that I have ever done and said, the most pain, the most sinful thing I have ever done in my past and still offers me grace. God knows the worst, the most destructive, the most painful, the most sinful thing I will ever do in my future and still offers me grace. God still calls me his own, his child. And if the God of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the inventor of life, the sustainer of life continues to show me grace every moment of every day, this undeserved, unearned favor, why do I still struggle to show it to myself? Why do I still think I need to suffer? I need to beat myself up. I still need to feel bad about all these things that I've done. Why, do I still, why am I still trying to punish myself when Jesus already took my punishment willingly for me? God says my debt has been paid. In Colossians chapter two, verse 13, he says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins and canceled the record of charges against you and took it away by nailing it to the cross. We are forgiven. I am forgiven. You are forgiven. If God says our debt is paid, if God says you're good, I'm not worried about the thing that you said, the thing that you did 10 years ago, then why, why do we still bring it up? Now, let me say this. If you sin, if you do something wrong, you should feel bad. That's called conviction. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you did something wrong, and that then should be then motivation to go and make things right with the person that you sinned against, and then to repent and turn away from your sin and go back to God. 
to make things right with the person, to make things right with God. Once you've done that, God says you're good. God says you don't have to beat yourself up anymore. God says you don't have to feel terrible and horrible because I've already taken the punishment for you. I have shown you grace. And if I can show you grace, you can show yourself some grace as well. That's grace. That's everything. The grace of God is the starting point of all things. That is why we can have faith. Grace is why we can have salvation and redemption and restoration and connection and partnership with God. God showed grace to us and continues to show grace to us. This unmerited, this unearned, this undeserved favor. It's this grace that should be the shock to the system to realign ourselves with God. It should realign our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our souls to focus in on God so that we are able then to show the same grace God has shown us to others and especially to ourselves. This, that is grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for this unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor that you show us, that it's nothing we could have done, nothing we ever will do, that, Lord, it is simply because you love us, because you like us, that you show us grace. Lord, help us all to understand just how incredible that statement is and that it is a shock to our system. A shock to our system to start the motivation to change each of those aspects of ourselves. And then, Lord, let that be the courage, the bravery, the, the, the motivation to then show the same grace you've shown to me that I can show to other people. Of course, the people that I like, but especially that grace to the people that I don't like. And Lord, please allow each and every one of us to understand that grace is not just for other people, but it's for ourselves as well. That the same grace I show to everyone else around me, I'm allowed to show that same grace to myself. Lord, we love you and we thank you. So in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.